Welcome to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, holistic health coach, clinical herbalist, and functional medicine pharmacist, or just holistic pharmacist for short. Whether you're a healthcare professional helping to support the health of your clients or going through your personal healing journey, I believe you will find yourself right at home with this podcast. My co-hosts and I will be merging the scientific with the holistic all season long, as well as sharing stories that will touch your heart and challenge your mind. Please enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I hope everybody's enjoying the warm weather. I know I am on the East Coast. So this week, I'm back to highlight the work of another pharmacy and entrepreneur colleague, Dr. Stephanie Yangmoss, aka Yomo. She caught my eye on Instagram, where she shines her light on wellness, family dynamics, pharmacy practice, and disparities in healthcare. A practical tip that she shared in the episode has stuck with me about how learning goes both ways. For example, Shadowing allows healthcare students to learn from professionals, but the mentors also get the opportunity to learn. A relationship with someone different than you helps you understand where they're coming from and how you can serve different populations. Dr. Stephanie has worked in various areas of pharmacy, community, regulatory compliance, managed care, and health economics and outcomes research. Over the past 20 years, Dr. Moss has advocated for decreasing disparities in healthcare through her volunteer work. She uses her platform to educate families across the U.S. on ways to decrease and eliminate health disparities by incorporating simple wellness and mental health techniques. Dr. Moss has shared her views on international and national podcasts, as well as local television news stations. She's the creator of the website drstephanieyomo.com, where you'll find practical health and wellness tips, ways to reduce healthcare disparities, and simple tips for health and wellness professionals to enhance their presence on social media so they can stand out in their niche, build a successful brand, and advocate for important causes. She's also the owner of Integrative Pharmacy Outcomes and Consulting which focuses on educating underserved communities on ways to reduce and prevent health disparities. For nearly two decades, she's also served on various boards and volunteer organizations that focus on health equity, decreasing implicit bias, addressing social determinants of health, and empowering communities to advocate for their health. She served on the boards of the Minority Health Coalition, of Marion County and Eskenazi Health Center, and she resides in Indianapolis, Indiana. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Stephanie to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have with me today Dr. Stephanie Youngmas. She is a pharmacist and wellness advocate, so I can't wait to hear everything that um, that entails during this interview. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stephanie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. Well, I usually like to start with having um, the guests introduce themselves, where they grew up, how they became a pharmacist in the first place, mm-hmm. and um, you know what was their educational journey like? Okay. Well, I am originally from uh, Tennessee, so I'm a Southern girl, but I live in the Midwest. I've been living here for uh, two decades now, and I was only supposed to be here two years, but uh, I ended up staying, and I moved here for a fellowship after pharmacy school. Um, But speaking of going back to pharmacy school, I went to pharmacy school at Xavier um, University in New Orleans, Louisiana. And after 
um, I finished school, I actually was focusing more on um, working in the business side of pharmacy. So while I did all the clinical things, of course, I um, uh, did all of my rotations where I worked in retail, I worked in community pharmacy, I even did a managed care residency. I was one of the first to do it in my school. Um, and then I ended up working for a pharmaceutical company as a um, uh, as an intern. So I ended up finding that interesting and ended up deciding to do a, fel doing a fellowship to see what other areas I could do uh, in that industry. So from there, I ended up doing a fellowship, was there for a few years and went to uh, a managed, managed care for about 12 years. I was in managed care for a long time. And then currently I am in health outcomes and research. Um, so uh, pharmacy school, um, pharmacy school is great. Uh, to be honest, when I first went to school, I wasn't quite sure which direction I was going to go into. And I had one of my advisors in college was like, have you ever thought about pharmacy? Um, so from there, even before getting into pharmacy school, I worked at uh, Eckerd. I'm not sure if you've heard of Eckerd. It's in the South. You have heard of Eckerd? Yeah, we've had it since. <laughs> it's been <laughs> out or bought out. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think by Rite Aid, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I worked there like before school, got to learn a lot about the pharmacists. And they even had a, a community pharmacist there that owned a pharmacy that was down the street. And they bought him out and hired him at, the, at that pharmacy because the community loved and knew him and still wanted to interact with him at that time. So that's how I learned a lot about pharmacy from that. And then I just ended up going to school, got into school, had a great time in school um, down in New in Louisiana. Awesome. Yeah, I actually love that approach of first experiencing something to be able to know whether or not you'd want to dedicate, you know, six or more years of your life studying. Yes. It. <laughs> exactly. So I had uh, really good mentors there that really kind of taught me about uh, about pharmacy, what, what they liked about it. And then when I went into school and I actually did my pre-farm in Tennessee. And once I got into pharmacy school, Xavier was where I was really able to explore the different types of pharmacy. Of course, you don't know, we really don't talk about all the different types of pharmacists that there are, um, especially first been in school. They were so focused on retail then because there was a huge shortage. So they wanted everybody to go to retail. We need you, we need you, we need you. People are getting older and we need more pharmacists. So uh, I had to really go out of my way to kind of learn about managed care, learn about industry, learn about different other areas that pharmacists could, um, could do. And that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing today. Yeah. And I really find that fascinating about your story. Is there any particular reason why you chose pharmacy in the first place? Um, did anybody in your family or your community influence you? And then why were you so passionate about exploring those outside of the community setting type of practices? Uh, there was no one in my in my family that actually was a pharmacist. Um, uh, I knew I wanted to go into a health field because my dad was a my dad is a chemist and my mom is an ultrasonographer. So my first job was working in the hospital. I was actually an assistant to the ultrasonographer and to the radiologist. I would take the film back in the day when they had film. I would take the film into their into the radiologist to let them read. And so I knew I wanted to be in the health field, but I just wasn't sure which area. And that's when my counselor. Um, asked me about, have I ever heard of pharmacy? And I started to research it then. So yeah, but I did, I knew I just wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, I did enjoy retail um, while I did my rotation in school. And even when I graduated, when I did my fellowship, I did retail like part-time so that I can keep up and, and still have that communication and, and uh, interaction with the patient. So I did that for a while. And then I decided, you know what? I think I want to go 
um, I wanted to work into off, work in an office and I just always have. So like I said, I did that part-time and I actually worked for a, um, a grocery store, a grocery store chain in Indianapolis while I worked for, uh, in the daytime, I worked, excuse me, nighttime when I got off, I would go to work. Um, and that was free kids and everything. So then after a while, I just decided, you know what I'm just going to do. It was managed care at that time, managed care pharmacy and stuck with that. Wow. So what were kind of like your expectations going into pharmacy school and having those mm -hmm. experiences versus you being a new grad and having, you know, the world at your feet and all, all these choices of, you know, pharmacy that, that you can go into. Um, so what, what was expectation versus reality? Um, well, expectations, I think, you know, when you're in school and you're learning all of the drugs, I know you remember having that stack of cards where you had to learn every single drug, every single disease, state, every single side <laughs> effect, everything. So it was really, um, first it was, it's kind of scary when you think about all that they can come here with any of these drugs and I need to know, it. but then you don't realize, you know, I can look it up if I really don't know it, or the more you work with it, you work with the same type of drugs that when the people come in, you kind of get to, um, uh, you have your top 100 or your top 10 or whatever that you deal with. So I really wasn't, um, as far as dealing with patient contact, I was excited. But when I came to Indiana and I was working uh, for the, the grocery store chain, there weren't very many people that looked like me that worked in this area. I was in a rural area in Indiana, like a suburb area of Indiana. And I looked young, I think, back then. And, okay. <laughs> and, <here I am. laughs> and so they were like, who are you? And where's Ed? <laughs> like, seriously, they would ask me that when I would come in. Because sometimes I would float too, but I would be at one store more, than, more often than the other. So they were you actually looking at me like, who are you? And can I please talk to the pharmacist? Why can't I have my pain medication? Literally, they would go off on me because I was doing the right thing. Yeah. Literally, re really, you just had it 10 days ago and you got to wait 20 more days. So that, that kind of um, was kind of a shock where people really didn't respect. Um, and it was ageism, probably sexism, uh, and all of that because it was young black girl coming in here. Who are you and how can you have authority to be a pharmacist? But all in all, I did have some great customers and people that I met and patients that I met, but then there were some who just didn't uh, think I had any authority to tell them what they could and could not get. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I also find that with doctors and other providers too, when, mm -hmm. when you try to do your job and uh, make a suggestion, they're like, who are you? How old are you? Even, <laughs> right. even <on> the phone, <laughs> who are you to tell me what to do? I am aware of this. And that. <laughs> exactly. And not realizing we took pharmacology probably just a little bit longer and we're not taking anything away from you we're not trying to take your job we're just trying to help and it's a, you know this should be a team effort um so hopefully um hopefully that had a little of that has changed and I think it has I think that people are really respecting pharmacists a lot more and they really realize the type of value that we bring when it comes to the clinical side of pharmacy as well yeah, I agree. And I think it also matters the kind of attitude that you approach uh, both patients and providers with and, mm -hmm. you know, coming at it with like an open mind and also hoping that that person reciprocates and rather than this air of superiority, like, hey, yes. I know something you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> 
Awesome. So how did you find yourself then cruising through and mostly being in managed care? Um, how was your job satisfaction, career satisfaction and all of that? Well, um, working in managed care, I actually, uh, well, my first job when I came into, when I, after I did the fellowship, I ended up staying on with that company and I went into compliance. So I was the one who would uh, train their sales reps on what you can and can't say, what's allowed, what's not allowed. You can't make any claims. So I was doing a lot of that type of teaching. So going into managed care, I got to really see some of the, um, uh, the, the business side as far as uh, approvals, uh, prior authorizations, those types of things. But it was more of a looking at either Indiana, I had either actually Indiana and Kentucky. So I would look at Indiana to see what types of issues uh, we had as a community and how can we tailor our, our uh, formula to, to address some of those problems. So I did like it. And it was about looking at the cost of care and making sure we were saving money here and making sure that if people, um, if we have a drug that's either generic or a drug that's on formulary, uh, trying to show the doctors, this is the reason why we chose this on formulary. Um, not telling you what you have to do, but we just want to educate you on the reason why we put this on. Formulary. So it could be a letter campaign. It could be going to see a doctor uh, in person and then also just telling people about our pharmacy benefit as well. So I actually was, uh, I mean, I was there a long time. When I say 12 years, I'm thinking I was there for a very long time. Um, and it was it, it was a good experience. And people were very nice. And it's a, it wasn't a stressful, you know, it's not a very stressful, high stress job to work in managed care either. We had our meetings um, and I even had an option to come into the office um, some days if I wanted to. So I mean, I would come in maybe three or four days out of the week for that job. Um, did I miss, uh, what's the second part? Oh, managed care. Yeah. So as far as managed care, I did enjoy it. And then I ended up going to uh, an AMCP meeting and meeting an old colleague that I worked with at my first job in industry. And they were like, have you ever done, a, have you ever thought of health outcomes? And I was like, you know, actually I had, because in my fellowship, we did rotations through each of the areas within industry and health outcomes was one. So I did learn some about it there, but um, after looking into it more and realizing working in managed care, a lot of the things that I did actually was outcomes. It was economic. It was trying to see to make sure, is, does the drug actually say, does it do what it actually says it's going to do? Is it saving money? If it does cost you money, are you at least saving it on the medical side? So um, I kind of related to that and ended up talking to the colleague and, and um, spending a little bit more time making sure it's what I wanted to do and end up interviewing and got that job there. So as you were going through your career, did you find yourself noticing things that could be improved upon or uh, optimized or things that maybe you didn't agree with 100% and you wish that you could change? Yeah, I think that, uh, especially in managed care, um, I think the good thing about the company that I worked for is that we did have an integrated um, formulary, which I think a lot more companies uh, hopefully are moving that way. So our health plan is tied to the pharmacy benefit. So that way we're not just not trying to um, control the spend on pharmacy. We're trying to see how they both work together. So I do think that's the best approach to have because you're, you're not just trying to reduce a piece, you're not trying to reduce a piece of the pie. You're trying to reduce the entire size of the pie and the spend and everything. So that's one that I really did like about the company. And then also, um, looking at the appeals process too. There's a reason why a company, a patient feels as though they should have the drug. They should be able to 
um, take the drug, there's always a way for them to be able to appeal that and get and be able to um, uh, get that drug. Now, sometimes that can be a lengthy process. So that's probably one thing that I would change would be able to make that process a little bit easier. But all in all, I think the companies that I worked for really did try and make the right decisions for their formulary based on what it did for the medical as well. Awesome. Um, so tell us about your website and your platform and what you're mm-hmm. building. And if you are um, doing this as you're working full time mm-hmm. or if your goal to transition and mm-hmm. you know how you've been building that up. Uh, well, about two years ago now, um, I think maybe a little bit over two years, I was actually downsized from the first health outcomes job that I had for a pharmaceutical company. And so at that time I was thinking, you know, you're on social media a lot and you have this time to really think about what you wanna do. So let's try and use social media for to be more purposeful with it. Not just look at my food, what I'm eating, look at, which is fine, but am I teaching? If I'm showing my food, am I teaching? What's in the food? What is it doing? How am I, how does it, you know, how does it work <laughs> for your body or whatever it is? So or I just want to have, <laughs> right, exactly. So I just wanted to have more purpose when I was on there. So I ended up switching my personal account to a business account. And I would do things, uh, talk about wellness. I was talking about wellness for kids. I was talking about sugar. Um, uh, and then other uh, health uh, problems as well. But during that time, I would also have healthcare professionals that would come to me and say, how do you get your patients to look like this? Because if you go back to look at what my old post looked like and how it transitioned, it was almost drastic the way, uh, the way my posts changed from the look of them and the aesthetics of the post. And it was really because I actually owned an embroidery store for nine years and I did a lot of the designs and I really didn't think, you know, Stephanie, you're good at this design thing. Like I didn't even think of that as being an attribute or something that I was really good at. So I tell people all the time when they come to me and they're like, well, I'm not good at anything or I'm just a pharmacist, which they don't realize that they're taking for granted so much information, so much knowledge that they have that people will love to hear about. So whether it's something to do with health and wellness, whether it's pharmacy, whether it's you're a great organizer, whether you can do uh, drawings in Adobe or whatever it is, ask yourself and then also ask people around you, what would you say? Why do you come to me? Or what would you ask me a question about? If you want to get expert advice, what would it be? And you will be surprised at what people say. So I always took for granted that I actually knew how to design things. So, and it showed on my page and people would come to me and ask me that. So I did start trying to teach people more of that as well. But at the same time, doing my volunteer work for 20 years, I worked um, in health uh, advocacy for serving the underserved population right out of school, being on boards for that. So that was also a passion that I had. So I took both of those and kind of uh, married the two together. So a lot of the posts that I make for health advocacy, like showing either trends or showing um, the statistics about certain disease, especially in underserved populations, were very popular and would be shared a lot because of the way they looked. Because if you have something that you want to share, you need to be able to break that thing down so the patient or whoever can understand it and make it easier for them to read and also make it pleasing so people will want to share that information, which helps your advocacy as well. 
Wow, that is so unique about the embroidery store. How did you get into that passion? And, you know, it's, it's so interesting that some people have like the most opposite of passion, <laughs> right? Like art and pharmacy or, uh-huh. and then they're able to marry the two. So can you talk a little bit about that? You know, I have to feed the other uh, part of my brain. It was something that uh, my husband and myself did. We were, um, it was uh, embroidery and uh, shirts. We saw a need in an area that we were both in fraternities and sororities, national, uh, well, actually international fraternities and sororities. And there was a need that people always either wanted business shirts or something for their schools. And we looked into it and found, ended up finding extra franchise and they taught us everything to do with the embroidery and the design. And just over time, if you own something for nine years, a lot of people think I'm going to own a business, but I don't want to have to do anything in the business. I'm just going to hire somebody to do it. But there's times when you will actually have to make a design. You can't always send it out. So I had to learn and teach myself how to do it. But um, although I am a pharmacist and probably I'm very, I'm analytical, but I am probably the opposite where I do like to use that art and feed that portion as well. So it kind of gives me in kind of an outlet, I guess you could say, when it comes to doing day-to-day work, because I do work full-time uh, in health outcomes as well. Yeah, I'm just looking at your page here and your website, and I can totally see the unique color schemes and patterns and it <laughs> matches the background that you have in the back of you so I could totally see the that was not that was not uh, I didn't do that on purpose <laughs> yeah so did you design your website as well actually so my sister is um she does website design and she actually um I, she not I want to say encouraged but she influenced me and inspired me to be able to do something like this. So she was actually working in broadcast and she quit her job. She learned, well, first she learned on the job. She didn't just quit. She learned on the job and she ended up learning how, just a second. Thank you. I'm sorry. I had a kid just come inside. They, they forgot I was on a very important meeting, but, um, so she ended up uh, leaving her job after she learned web design and started her own business where she actually uh, made web design. And she would tell me, you know, Stephanie, this is a great uh, area. You should look into it. You should think about um, social media. And so she really actually inspired me. So she did my website. And uh, um, but I actually. Instagram and the Facebook pages and things. So she's very helpful when it comes to, hey, I need to, um, I have a webinar coming up or I have a class I want to teach. Can you help me set up the back office? Can you help me set up the sales page? So she's really, really good with that. And she's about to have a baby in two weeks. And I'm like, um, can you do this before you go on maternity leave? You are an entrepreneur. <laughs> so I'm really trying to be respectful that, you know, this is, even though this is my sister and, um, <laughs> But it's just like anything before. Yeah. I'm like, can you please just, can you just slide this in there? Because I actually really want to do a total redesign of my website. And I'm like, that wouldn't be fair. I'm not going to do that. So I'm like working in the back office on my um, on my website on my own to see what I can change. I'm not changing it. I'm doing it like in the in the background. So I won't mess anything up while she's on maternity. And I, and I try to respect her boundaries. I pay her as my sister. And then I, and I also don't ask an overstep either because I know she has clients that keeps her busy and she's trying to get things wrapped up as well. That's beautiful. Family, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you have any other siblings? 
Oh, yes, I actually have another sibling. So that's my middle sister. I have a younger sister as well. And she's actually an ultrasonographer. So she took after my mom and went to uh, ultrasound and she's an ultrasonographer and she does uh, cardio. So I think she does. Um, there's an official name for it. I can't think of it, but she does any of the cardiac patients that come in. She does their uh, ultrasounds for that. Nice. So um, I love that story about you transitioning your normal page into mm -hmm something like you said purposeful something that really lights you up and you're passionate about um so it, it looks like your sister influenced you was there anything else that uh, inspired you to do this mm -hmm. even though you know you, you're pretty satisfied with your job you're working full time mm -hmm. um, what is the ultimate goal I, I would assume it's the mission rather than the money I don't think um, mm -hmm. the money's mm -hmm. a driver here but mm -hmm. ultimately do you want um this to be your primary source of income and ultimately what is that message that really you're passionate about sharing? Well, I think that, um, oh, the first thing you asked. Oh, you asked me a question at, at the beginning. I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was about, is did anything in particular inspire you to start okay. page? That's it. Yes, so that's it. I think, you know, I think being, being, um, of being downsized and sitting at home, I wanted to do something more purposeful. So I did do some of the volunteer work as far as I got on another board for a local clinic and hospital. And then, so I, I did share some of my advocacy things with that on my page as well. Um, I think having that platform when people say, you know, I don't have to have a personal brand. I don't have to have a social media account. I don't have anything I really want to push. But if you want to advocate for something, the best way to me is to be able to share that across to million, thousands or millions of people on social media. So when I talk about healthcare disparities or when I talk about things that help, um, you know, health inequities, there are a lot more people that may not be aware of some of the things that, I'm, that I discuss that would otherwise not have known about it. So that was another way for me to be able to share that as well. As far as when it comes to uh, what I want, where I want this to go, I do like corporate America, to be honest, I do. Um, but it, of course, I mean, who wouldn't mind having their own, you know, their business, their own way that they can leave uh, their mark, I think would be, you know, a great way to say it. Um, uh, what you, so if people ask, you know, well, what did Stephanie do while she was here? It would be to try and uh, serve the underserved and be that voice and help them have their own voice, whether or not be their voice, but help them actually have their own voice as well. Um, so it would be nice to have that. You know, I'm employed now, so in case my employer's watching this, I do like it. But the good thing is that my and my immediate uh, person that I report to, they're very uh, supportive, and you know, they even have their own thing as far as what they do as well. So I think it's a it's an outlet, and it's also a way to advocate. Um, and and then if I want to, it can turn into a full time business, I believe as well. So um, the message that you have is to improve patient care and to serve the underserved. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have, um, you know, like a plan of action or how that could be implemented in today's, you know, set up a healthcare system? And did you personally come across this and see this in practice or with yourself or with your family going through the healthcare system? Like, how did this, you know, become such an important topic and personal topic for you? Well, I think first um, coming out of school, I worked, the school that I went to was smack 
in the middle of an area that was like that. So I would see it if I would do rotation, I would be in the neighborhoods that would uh, need this type of uh, help or that would have health uh, equities. Um, then also, so once I graduated and I was able to be on the board, I would see it even more. You would be able to see firsthand uh, some of those things. But I think really working for the, uh, not working for, but being on the board for the clinic uh, and the mission and things that they do uh, within that clinic really taught me a lot about being able to help in different ways that people need uh, help, whether it's, it's not only financial, sometimes it's just being able to have someone, uh, a physician or a healthcare provider or a pharmacist or nurse that they can actually relate to. So I think that um, as far as uh, me and uh, doing advocacy work and being in health, uh, making sure that people are able to know about health inequities, I think the biggest thing was just, um, once I sat on that board and I saw some of the patients and a lot of times on these boards, you have to have someone within the community that is actually uh, being served at these clinics on the board. So even hearing their voice and hearing what they had to say. So I think it's really important the way that we can help as healthcare providers, make sure that you have cultural competency, make sure that you understand your patients. If you work in a community, uh, if it's a community that does not look like you, try and learn their culture, try and learn some of their language, you know, try and learn the things that they like to eat and how it could affect uh, their medication or try and learn what's going on with them, uh, what's going on in the neighborhood. Do they have a safe place to play? You tell them to exercise and walk, but is it safe to walk in the neighborhood? So do things like that. Like, for instance, do they need a sidewalk? Start a petition to get a sidewalk for them. If you're telling them to go to walk and it's dangerous in the walk in their neighborhood. They can't even walk because it's a busy street. So things like that, people think that it has to be something that is huge. It can be something as small as that. Just trying to make sure that you understand your community and understand the people that you're serving, that you're not just there working and not getting to know uh, the community. You can't know everyone, but at least trying to understand the culture, understand the people. Um, one goal that I do have is to start a nonprofit that will um, be focusing on that will focus on health, um, um, decreasing uh, healthcare disparities and health inequities as well. And I think one of the main ways to do that would be to pair up um, kids in the neighborhood with physicians, pharmacists, nurses, um, and have them shadow them because a lot of times we're thinking that the kids are learning from us. You know, maybe one day they want to be a pharmacist, but it's really not about that. It's about us learning from them as well, because the more you have a relationship with someone that is different or someone that you um, serve in your community, I think it helps you better understand where they're coming from, why they do some of the things they do, what can you do to help? And I think that really having that um, shadowing experience will be helpful for both the physician, the doctor, the nurse, or and also for the uh, young person as well. That's awesome. Sounds like you have thought a lot about this. And I have. Let me just take the step to start the uh, nonprofit paperwork. That's the, yes. that's the, the thing. <laughs> well, let's do it. I'll hold you accountable. <laughs> Thank you. Second. Um, yeah, those are some great practical tips. You know, it all starts with us. And I agree with you about, you know, the practitioners really um, having the lead here. Um, is there any anything else on a practical level that anyone can do to become more aware of this and to, um, you know, find ways that they could help with a solution? I think looking at your local organizations that may need help, even if it's seeing somewhere where you can volunteer 
um, whether it's serving at, and there are, there are a lot of either churches or um, especially if you have a pharmacy school where they need some clinics uh, that will let you be able to volunteer at a clinic. Um, it may be helping some of the pharmacy students or overseeing the pharmacy students in these neighborhoods. Uh, go and see what they need. Uh, maybe doing a brown bag day. I know you remember, you know, us doing those types of things. But um, just trying to make sure that you're in your community and and talking to them and seeing what they need and seeing what skills you have to help. For me, it could be making a flyer for a community day for health screening, and so you know, even something like that, I think is very helpful. But um, I think the biggest thing is just making sure that we are um, talking, that we're trying to um, get to know the people that we're serving, and then also understanding exactly what their needs are. But I think the biggest thing is if you try and understand and relate, it will help you as a practitioner when you're speaking to them as well. Yeah, well, you're certainly a huge inspiration. Uh, can you just mention mm -hmm. what the wellness advocacy part of your work looks like. I see you mm -hmm. have some um, general tips about, you know, how to stay wealthy, get enough, I'm sorry, well and get enough. <laughs> wealthy is also good. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> it gives you some peace of mind. Right. Gets you to afford good quality food for yourself. But um, mm -hmm. yep. overall, who do you serve? Like, you know, how does this tie in to your mission and um, how, you know, how do you get clients from this or who are you teaching and serving? So I don't try and get, um, if my clients wouldn't be um, the actual consumer, it would be the organizations who are teaching the consumer if they want me to come in and teach something to them. So it wouldn't be, I'm charging a patient to do a consultation, which you know, I could do that, but it would be for the organizations to say, hey, we need a pharmacist to come in and talk about uh, nutrition or wellness or uh, a certain drug sometimes. But like today I did a talk for an organization and it was about invisible disabilities. And people may think you're a pharmacist, well, you know about that, but it was about mental health, wellness, it was about being empathetic and being able to relate to people that you work with. So it's really taking, um, uh, talking about either health disparities. So if I do a mental health talk, I may talk about how it is uh, less likely for some, a person of color to actually have a therapist or people who don't have insurance, how can they afford a therapist? And I would try and touch upon that healthcare disparity part there. So that's the wellness part. It's making sure that if you are, um, not get, if you aren't getting enough sleep, what could happen? If you aren't eating right, what can happen? If you aren't, if you're drink, uh, eating too much sugar, what could happen? And that will tie into, um, for instance, um, um, certain, uh, if you have high blood pressure, what you should, why you shouldn't eat this and that. And then I'll talk about the disparities that goes along with that certain disease state. So that's how I kind of tie it all together. So it's really about teaching the wellness tips that will help be able to prevent healthcare disparities as well. So is it correct to say that you work with organizations and you actually train the providers to provide better care and wellness services and serve, you know, the underserved communities as well as other communities? Yeah, so I do have, um, a, a, for instance, a particular um, group that wants me to come in and talk about wellness and nutrition because they want their organization to be able to teach the people in that neighborhood. So it could be um, one of the one of the 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 biggest things I want to do is to be able to teach healthcare professionals the cultural competency part. So let's talk about 
ways that you can discuss this with your patients, ways that you can relate to this with your patients, um, things that that be on the menu that you're telling them not to eat, um, that could be different ways that they can make that, you know, make that food. So that could be that cultural competency piece is also important. So yeah, it is uh, teaching the organizations or talking to the organizations how they can either help uh, the people that they serve and then also helping their families. Like the one for today was actually, um, I spoke to an organization, but they would be the, um, um, it would be the employees, but they, I was telling them how they can be more compassionate with their co-workers and how you treat your co-workers. And then they were asking questions a little about mental health and about what I eat. How does that affect me? Does it affect my sleep? Does my sleep affect me? So that it got into that conversation as well. So it really taught them also about talking to themselves, but the ultimate goal is to do more of the teach the healthcare providers and organizations how you can teach your clients, your patients um, to avoid healthcare disparities and avoid disease. Wow. Well, I love that this is what you're doing. And I love that pharmacists are able to provide this level of counseling and this level mm-hmm. of um, uh, inspiration and change for communities and especially mm-hmm. working with organizations, you can affect many people. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any other education or training that you got for yourself or are you just relying on your pharmacy background to help you with all of this education? Well, I did, I do have, of course I have my PharmD, you know, but then I also went back to school for my master's in health administration at University of Wyoming. So I actually did that later um, uh, maybe five years ago or so. So I actually received that as well. Um, and then I also did an online uh, class that was about health and wellness coaching. So that was also a wellness certificate online. But what people need to know is if you're a pharmacist, you know a whole lot more than you're giving yourself credit for. So whether it's things that you learn from uh, researching and reading, we learn how to study everything right? So if you you can learn all of these drugs, there's no reason why you can't learn uh, what is an invisible disability and how something that you eat can affect your mental health, things like that. And the first thing I do in my disclaimer is I say, this is not diagnosis. Don't do like me and go to Google and read every symptom and think you have the disease. You need to talk to your doctor or your pharmacist first. So I make sure I let them know that as well. That's one thing I try to tell pharmacists, especially pharmacy students, do not give medical advice or diagnosis. You are sharing wellness tips. You are sharing uh, statistics about healthcare disparities. And I make sure that I credit uh, websites and things and give them other ways they can go and learn more about it as well. So I think a lot of it would come from the master's degree that I received, but mainly the pharmacy degree, I think was a lot of what really helped me be able to do it. And then some of my own things that I've learned about healthcare disparities being on the boards as well. Yeah, well, I love all those tips and um, yeah, the the recognition for pharmacists as well as um, the disclaimer that they should be using. Um, Mm -hmm. And I agree, I think, you know, pharmacists know so much and they're the perfect uh, career or professional to actually integrate holistic and um, allopathic conventional uh, resources in one person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I think today someone asked me about, um, they were talking about anxiety and depression and they were saying, uh, talking about drugs and 
not using drugs. I was like, well, it's up, you know, it's up to the individual. I'm not saying don't use drugs. And I don't want people to feel bad because they have to use the medication for mental health. There's different things you can do that are holistic that you can do, but then also you need to also recognize and realize when you do need medication as well. So not to feel bad about that. So just because I'm a pharmacist, I don't always push drugs, but then I don't want you to feel the shame if you're on it as well. Yeah, that's a great point as well. So I'd love to use the last couple of minutes for a rapid round fire mm-hmm. round question with you. <laughs> um, so number one, what is your number one tip to improve mm-hmm. someone's quality of life right now? Okay, I think the biggest thing, I really have to, one, I would say sleep, which I could get more of. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people underestimate how much sleep can help with your mood, with your cognitive, you know, if you're trying to remember something, uh, even with your weight, people don't realize how much sleep affects you and how it can help you if you're getting enough sleep. So I think one of my number one sleep, one, number one tips is make sure that you're getting enough sleep. And then also make sure that you're not eating too much sugar as well, because it's another thing that can affect your brain and cognitive ability and your weight that people don't realize. And they don't realize how much sugar are in things that they're eating as well. Yeah, it's, it's hidden in there. Um, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. causes inflam- inflammation, which is the root of a lot of diseases. So mm-hmm. uh, I have to agree with you there. Okay, number two is um, how do you find the time to do all of this? Like uh, have a family, you know, you're a, a wife and a mom um, to do the volunteer work, to do the advocacy work, building mm-hmm. your platform and do the full-time job. That sounds like a lot, gosh. <laughs> What's your secret? <laughs> well, I think it is. First of all, I have an understanding family and they're very helpful, but I make sure if there's something that I have to do with them, they will come first. Like I told you, I have a, a kids that are very active and play sports and different things. So I have to make sure I'm doing that. But a lot of times it, it may be doing something on the weekend, doing something at night when they're asleep, when my kids are asleep. But then also just trying to make sure, like for instance, even if I have to take a PTO day to do something, I have PTO. So a lot of people say, well, I'm going to take PTO to take vacation. I took PTO today to do a presentation and a talk to a company. And it's totally okay to do that. So if you need that time as well, you know, feel free to do that if you do want to keep your job and and, also, and always do your disclaimer and your disclosures to your company. So my company knows about, you know, what I like to do and what I'm doing. As long as there's no um, conflicts, you should be OK. So I think doing that and then also just trying to make sure that I'm that I'm balanced um, and planning. So if I'm going to do stuff on social media, I try to plan it out or even try and schedule it ahead of time. So when it looks like I'm posting, I may not really be posting. It's just being scheduled, you know? So I think that's helpful too, is to make sure you plan it out, do it in a couple of days, and you really don't have to touch it as much as you think you have to. All great tips as well. So last question for you is, um, do you have any regrets or anything that you would do over in your career, you know, from point A to point B that, you know, you wish you would have done more efficiently or anything like that, looking back? Um, I've, you know, I've had a great career in pharmacy and I actually have enjoyed each area that I've worked in. Um, to be honest, I've had great jobs. So I'm, now I work totally from home and I do travel sometime with my job. So I've been working home for a long time and with my managed care job, remember I worked three or four days in the office. Um, so I would say that maybe the biggest thing would be to maybe 
Um, during that time, I was actually thinking about this today, during that time where I was downsized for six months, I was really comfortable because to be honest, I was I still was getting paid, but I wish that I would have done more and ramped up more advocacy work there, ramping up my business more there. I wish I would have done a lot more at that time. I'm like, I felt like I was, I, I guess I kind of did push it off and I did a lot then, but I think I could have done a whole lot further. And by doing that, it probably would have been better for me to be able to delegate some of the things. I think during that time, I was trying to do a lot myself and I have to realize it, it would probably get done faster if I'm able to even hire someone to do a particular thing that I know that takes me a long time to do. Um, and that will help me go farther in how I'm reaching people as well. Yeah, that's something I think you just learned with experience that outsourcing certain things, you know, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. just not worth your time at a certain point, yeah. you'd rather just spend the money. So thank yep. you so much um, for this interview. It's been amazing. I learned a lot. Um, I would love for you to share um, anywhere that our listeners can get in touch with you and learn more mm-hmm. about your work. You can find me on all social media platforms at Dr. Stephanie Yomo. That's Dr. Stephanie Yomo, Y-O-M-O. And you can also go to my website at drstephanieyomo, the same spelling.com. Uh, you can feel free to email me as well at hello at drstephanieyomo.com. Awesome. Well, I'll have all that info on in the show notes and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you learned something new from it, I'd love if you could leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend who might love it too. You can find me on any of the podcast and social media platforms by looking up Holistic Pharmacist or Dr. Marina Booksov. Thank you for your support and see you next time.